0: This morning we're going to be in Daniel seven, verses 15 through the end of the chapter, verse 28. And if we could put up the image, the last time we covered pretty much Daniel seven, and Daniel seven, as you can see, is over here. Next chapter, Daniel eight. Well, you know, God for some reason wants wanted his people at his time in his time, and also, if you fast forward 500 some odd years from Daniel, then you run into John in the book of Revelation, which Pastor Vinny's also going through with the teens. And uh, God wanted to make sure both the believers in Daniel's time and in John's time understood what the unfolding kingdoms would look like, and really in our time, because this is a fulfillment for us as well, to really understand uh, human-run history and then where it's going to end. So this is, you know, I looked at different images on the internet and stuff, this was a really good one. So basically what happens, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 2 has a dream. He sees this image, it's kind of scary to him, it's a big image of a man or a statue with different color metals, different types of metals, representing different body parts. And then there's a stone that smashes it, grinds it to powder, and that's the end of it. The stone fills the earth. Fast forward to Daniel 7, Daniel has dreams and visions and he sees these successive kingdoms corresponding with the metal man, but more as in terms of beasts and what they mean and what they represent. Uh, God gives Daniel more information because at the time Nebuchadnezzar got it, he was a pagan, he was a heathen. He could understand basic things, but God didn't give him all that much information. Now with Daniel, he gives more. And in the first century, John in Revelation, there's even more information. So we're going to try to cover all of those uh, this morning. So the first one we see is the head of gold, represents the Babylonian kingdom. The head of gold in Daniel 2 is commensurate with the lion in Daniel 7 with the two wings um, Daniel gets again more information on this Babylonian kingdom where the wings are plucked off. The lion is taught to stand on two feet and a man's heart is put in him, so he's not a beast anymore, which is a picture of Nebuchadnezzar. This conquering pagan king becomes a man of God and the conquests stop. And you know, as the federal head of the kingdom, pretty much this is the representation. Uh, the next, and this is all history. So I'm um, looking at the scripture, now, let's go back some almost 2,600 years ago. You know, Go to your internet, go to your uh, encyclopedia, go to your history books in school. You'll find that this is all true. It was history in advance before it actually happened, and that's called prophecy. So the next kingdom is the Medo-Persians, which is the chest and arms of silver, which is commensurate with the uh, bear, and the bear is more detail given to Daniel than Nebuchadnezzar, uh, the Medo-Persian kingdom, uh, kingdom. The bear is raised up on one side, which means that the Persians were a lot more powerful than the Medes, but they needed to work together to conquer Babylon. The bear has three ribs in his mouth. Uh, He's between his teeth, and that's represented in the Babylonian kingdom, Lydia, and Egypt. And uh, so you see that. The next kingdom is the Grecian kingdom, which is the thighs and belly of bronze, which is commensurate with this leopard with four wings and four heads again, represents the Grecian kingdom. The four wings, Alexander the Great conquered the known world in his late 20s to, I think, 30, 31. And then he, believe, he died at age 32. So this young man pretty much conquered the world. He had such a, you know, he was such a motivated type of personality. But when he died, he left no heir. Nobody expected him to die that young. So his four generals took over and that's represented in the four heads. Uh, Ptolemy, Seleucus, Cassander, and Lysimachus, and each one of them divided up the known world into their quadrants, so to speak. The next one is the Roman kingdom, which is the legs of iron and the toes of iron mixed with clay. And what's very interesting is the legs are long, because the Roman Empire, and we're going to talk about this, never really died. It kind of is latent, it's behind the scenes, but it still affects a lot of what goes on in the world. And that's represented by this beast. You know, that's an artist's representation, but the beast is a fierce, ferocious, frightening beast, and it terrifies uh, Daniel. He sees this and it freaks him out, and he actually asks more questions uh, in verse, verses 15 through 18, which we'll cover. But this is a picture of the Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire at the end, the ten toes are equivalent to the ten horns on top of this beast, and the little horn rises up, which is a picture of the Antichrist, subdues three of the horns, plucks it out by the roots, and then starts to control this confederation of nations, which is already happening in our world um, and will be apparent at some point in the near future. We talked about regionalizations between continents, we talked about uh, confederation of nation states, we talked about all the juxtapositioning of the. Uh, geopolitical movements in the world, you know, there's a few people that, listen, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but there's a few people at the top that pretty much run the world, you know? And that's why there has to be a centralization, a World Bank, uh, you know, uh, United Nations rules, you see the United Nations are pushing for us to tell us what to do as far as gun control and things like that, because everybody has to be on the same page for this mass one world government, one world currency, and we're moving in that direction. So where we are today in human history, if this is the past and this is the present, we're right about here. So it's not going to be long before, you know, this confederation of nation-states and this this world charismatic leader starts to lead, and then Messiah's kingdom will come and destroy human-run history, and he will rule in righteousness and peace. Not something that we look forward to because there's really no justice on the earth you know if it's really about who you know how much influence how much money you have and justice even is even different depending on those parameters so let's jump in and we'll take a look at it verse 15 it says i daniel was grieved in my spirit within my body and the visions of my head troubled me now remember we can look at this as history and go oh yeah that's history daniel is seeing the future it's kind of freaking him out you know he's amazed that All the information God is giving him. Okay, so like we look at it, we have a different take on it, although some are a little fearful today about this antichrist rising up and such, but you know, God's in control. His kingdom will eventually rule. Verse 16, I came near to one of those who stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. Those great beasts, which are four, are four kings which arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom uh, forever, even forever and, and ever. So we'll start with that little chunk. Again, Daniel is understandably shaken. He's only a man, right? We're only people. Imagine if God gave us, at, at like 12, he gave us the whole uh, scenario of, of our life, right? If we had a disease, if we had surgery, uh, loved ones that died, we probably wouldn't be able to handle it. So just think about that in our limited capacity. Now Daniel's getting all this information really about the world. So Daniel asks for clarification, and all I can say is thank you, Daniel, because it helps to clarify it for us. He gets an answer. Verses 15 and 28, Daniel's disturbed. Now, let me just read 28. It says, this is the end of the account when all the vision is, is done. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly troubled me and my countenance changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. So Daniel is shaken uh, emotionally, uh, physically, spiritually. You know, there's this crazy idea in Western Christianity that God's word is supposed to be uplifting all the time. But that's not true according to scripture. You know, the problem is in, in Western culture, in order to sell that to Western Christians, you have to divorce Christians from their word. When you can divorce Christians from the Word, then you can sell them anything, okay? And that's that subtle teaching. Revelation 10, Ezekiel 2 and 3. Both John and Ezekiel ate the scroll of God's Word. They ate God's Word, and they had the same experience. It was sweet in their mouth, but bitter in their stomachs. In their stomachs, Why? Because God's Word is something that we crave, hence the sweetness in the mouth. However, as it goes further into the system, as time goes on, it was bitter in their stomach, indicating that the reality of 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 what God's word says, you know, can, you know, there's a reason why God doesn't give us the future all in one psh, compacted message. It, it's given to us little by little, and that's called the present. You know, if God gave us a vision of the United States and He said judgment is coming, and it's not, it's not going to be the same. Your world as you know it will change. We would probably have the same experience as Daniel, right? It's my job to try to put this in perspective. Um, Let me read Isaiah 30 to you. If we can go Isaiah 30, 8 through 11. See, men and women have always preferred false teaching. Well, let me scratch that. Men and women who don't have a strong relationship with their Lord have always preferred false teaching because it sounds better. It goes down easier. Let me read Isaiah's day. And we think we're far removed from this. We're really not. He says, now go write it before them on a tablet. And noted on a scroll, for it may be for time to come forever and ever, that this is a rebellious people. Who's God talking about? His own people. (laughs) Lying children, children who will not hear the law of the Lord, who says to the seers, do not see, and says to the prophets, do not prophesy to us right things, but speak to us smooth things, prophesy deceits. See, God is, is actually, because he knows the heart, he's actually saying collectively, this is what my people Maybe they don't say it with their lips, but they're, they're saying it with their hearts and their actions. So tell the prophets, listen, if, if you're going to prophesy, tell us stuff that we want to hear. Smooth things. We don't want to hear this difficulty. Get out of the way. Turn aside from the path. Cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. Hey God, thank you for Israel. Thank you for the milk and honey. Now be gone because we just don't want to follow your law. I mean, I don't know that it's much different today. It's just more subtle. It's dressed up nicely. We do everything with advertising. You can paint, you know, you go to see some of these, even movies, in the movie theater, some of the classic movies are about adultery. And it's so, it's so romantic. It's adultery. But you can dress up anything, you know, put a, you know, put a little whatever, dress it up, make it look pretty, and then you watch the movie and you're like enamored by this situation. This happens all the time. God has a way of allowing his people to be disciplined when they don't want to listen to the truth. He allows false teachers. He allows false prophets. And by contrast, true pastors, true prophets, true teachers will be looked at as angry, lacking love, or negative. You're going negative. No, we're doing what the truth of the Bible says. I find it ironic that some today who are carnal in the church are enamored by the Apostle Paul. Jeremiah, you know, Isaiah, these guys were hardcore, they were serious, and they were, they gave it to the people when they were in sin and rebellion. It's like you're enamored by it, but you couldn't, you couldn't live under that. You know, it's, it's really, it's a fantasization of something that's not true. I mean, let's just say this, honestly, starting with myself, we as sinful flesh, are we always going to enjoy what God tells us? A righteous, holy God, a God of justice? We want justice for ourselves. But are we always going to fall in line? Does our flesh appreciate God's word all the time? The answer is no. Of course not. You know, we we, we look at the Bible and we we look at verses that we agree with. God didn't write the word for us to agree with it. He wrote the word for us to obey it. And that's a hard word to swallow in American culture. See, this kind of false teaching breeds a, a shallowness in Christianity because The person is ignorant of God's word. Verse 16, similar to John in Revelation, and I'm going to make a lot of parallels. This Daniel, this prophet who didn't know John, right? Different culture, different language, a lot of different things. He's writing these prophetic uh, words. And then when we look at Revelation, which I taught, um, I I reference Daniel a lot because there's a lot of similarities here. But basically, Daniel's looking for somebody to talk to and explain it to him. So, you know, it's almost like the Apostle Paul. I don't know if I was in the body, out of the body, in the spirit. He just knows that God gave him some incredible visions. Daniel gets these visions too. And Daniel is talking to somebody and asking him for more clarity. Now, in the next chapter, we'll see that he speaks to the angel Gabriel, which is quite fascinating. Uh, So let's just maybe assume that that Gabriel's kind of helping him along and giving him a guided tour, like John got in the book of Revelation. You know, on on an aside, I I couldn't help but think of uh, Charles Dickens wrote uh, Christmas Carol. Remember the the Ebenezer Scrooge got the tour of the past, the present, and the future? If you read Revelation, (laughs) I could could almost say that he stole it. I mean, Revelation was written first. So, you know... (laughs) So he, uh, I'm wondering if he, you know, you see these even movie writers and and scripts and you're like, well, I I know that. That's somewhere in the scripture. Like they, a lot of them use biblical themes, but they don't really give God the glory. So basically uh, this guide is giving Daniel this information. Daniel asks a question and he starts to elaborate. Now, verse 19 continues, Then I wished to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, with its teeth of iron and its nails of bronze, look at the detail, which devoured broken pieces and trampled the residue with its feet, and about the ten horns that were on its head, and about the other horn which came up, before which three fell, namely that horn, which had eyes and a mouth which spoke pompous words and whose appearance was greater than his fellows. I was watching... And the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them until the Ancient of Days came and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. Now, if you weren't here last Sunday, um, if there's some difficulty, because I'm repeating a lot, but I don't want to repeat too much. Uh, It would be a good idea to go and get either the CD or get it for free off the website because last Sunday's message the first uh, 14 verses lays the foundation for what we're going to speak about today. So verse 18 is good news in that in the end, of course, God wins. And believe it or not, he uses the saints to run things in the new kingdom. Of course, he's leading Jesus Christ. Um, so we're, we're kind of like in a, in a training ground now, in a sense. Um, I, we learn a lot of things as we get closer to our Lord. He builds us up. He strengthens us. And at some point, he will use us, uh, who are faithful in many things, to be faithful in many. You know, those who are faithful in little, they have to be brought up. And as they're faithful in little, they'll get much more. But this is good news. But Daniel has a curious fear, which is what I would call it, about this fourth empire that turns into a fifth empire. And Daniel can't believe how dreadful it is. So a few things about the Roman Empire. Number one, it had teeth of iron, strength. The Romans knew, I actually went into, I did a lot of research on the Roman Empire as I'm studying this, the Romans knew how to perfect iron implements and weapons. As a matter of fact, one statistic said that the empire, the entire Roman Empire, produced 82,000 tons of iron a year. That is a lot of iron. People today assume that older cultures without computers and electricity were ignorant. They weren't. They knew how to smelt. They knew how to forge out alloys. They knew how to make steel, but the Roman Empire knew how to work with iron. Two, it had nails of bronze. Okay, now this is interesting because much of the warfare the Romans took from the Greeks, from the bronze uh, kingdom, and they, you know, their nails, the the beast, whatever touched the ground was was bronze. Now, some just a little. Uh, metallurgy here for a moment, um, bronze and brass. You, sometimes you see different words used in, this, in the scripture. Both of them are alloys of copper. Uh, bronze and, and tin make brass, bronze and zinc, I'm sorry. Copper and tin make bronze, copper and zinc makes brass. Now, depending on what your application is, you would change it a little bit, but basically the Greeks were the bronze kingdom. Three, this, this beast devoured broken pieces and trampled. It destroyed everything in its path. And the attitude was, assimilate into the Roman Empire or die. Okay? When they were in, and I'm not saying it's right, it's just what it was. When they would go to the Germanic tribes or the different tribes, they would basically say, you need to surrender. We're the Romans, and if you don't, uh, it's going to get worse for you. We're going to take most of you into slavery. So it was a brutal beast that Daniel saw. This fifth beast, okay, the fourth Roman Empire, turns into a fifth beast with the horns, which the Antichrist rules, spans. It's spanned already roughly 2,000 years, and it will go into our future. So the Roman Empire's metamorphosis really took two millennia. It never died, it only changed. Remember, see Daniel 2 and Daniel 7, part 1, for further clarification. Now, this is where I'm going to start putting Revelation into it, because it's appropriate. In Revelation 17, actually in Revelation 13, we spoke about how the disciple John, in his guided tour, saw, saw the beast, as hideous beast, with elements of the different animals. So John, different from Daniel, that's okay, <laughs> sees the, um, Daniel sees the beast separately and John sees them all morphed together into one grotesque beast. So we read that last Sunday. But Revelation 17 describes now a harlot who rides the beast. There was elements, and still are elements, of pagan religious Babylon and pagan religious Rome in that beast. It's a a morphing of a political religious type of structure. What the politics can't get from the people in, in domination, the religious end will take from it as well. Revelation 17:9 says the beast had seven heads this is right out of Revelation which are seven hills which have always been known to be geographic Rome. If you go to Rome today, they actually named the seven hills. Do all of them know that Revelation speaks about this? Some maybe yes, some maybe no. I'm sure the Christians find it very interesting who are actually living there. Let's define some terms. <clears throat> First of all, who are the saints? The word saint literally means, in the Greek, agias, means to be set apart. So if we're talking, it depends on who the saints are. It's a contextual word based on the dispensation or what time period God has us in. So in Daniel's day, the believers were Jews. In John's day, the believers in Revelation were Christians. In the end times, there'll be a smattering of tribulation saints that get saved, Gentiles and Jews, and Jews. But the Antichrist's main focus will be against Israel because Israel now starts to turn to accept her Messiah. And there's a huge, huge um, following of Christians in Israel. They're Israeli believers in Jesus. And it's growing uh, more and more. So how do we know that the church isn't here like the aggregate church, like all churches in the world this morning? that are worshiping and going through the scripture? How do we know the church isn't going to be here and we get what's called rapture? Now, remember, the church is a collection of saints. Saints is not a person who dies and then they're canonized later because the apostle Paul and other Bible writers write to the saints, whether they're the saints in Rome, the saints in Ephesus. So how are they writing to dead people? So what happens is over the years, you have the Bible and you have tradition and tradition gets murky when man starts to put his fingers in it. It starts to go further and further away from the Bible. So how do we know that the church is not here? A few things. In Matthew 16, Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. But in verses 21 here in Revelation 13, it says the Antichrist does prevail against the saints. So either the church isn't here or God's word is inconsistent. The saints also are crying in verse Revelation 6. I'm going to turn to that. Now, you think about all the Christian martyrs that we know of in the 20th and 21st centuries. What did they do as they were being killed? In the afterlife, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to send you into hell. No. When you read Fox's book of martyrs, Christians who were being martyred pray for their persecutors, starting with Stephen, who was stoned, right? So what do these martyrs do? Let's read Revelation 6, verse 9. The fifth seal When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. So this is the the tribulation martyrs. But what's very interesting is the age of grace has run out. And when that last seven-year uh, period of tribulation comes upon the earth, that's the last week, the 70th Shavuot in Daniel chapter 9, which I'm going to get to. So it's, in, in my mind, it's easy. I can kind of do it on a map. It's like a chronology, a timeline. The trick is to get you to understand what's going on here. So there's different, what they call dispensations. God works one way under Moses, right? Uh, The law was good. It was a tutor to bring us to Christ. When Christ came, God, he he fulfilled, right? Jesus says, I came to fulfill the law of Moses. So what happens now is um, we have the Holy Spirit. No more in Jeremiah, uh, I think 31, 31 through 33. No more will a man say to his neighbor, know the law under the new dispensation, the law it would be something that we would want to keep. I don't want to murder. I don't want to steal. But it's a different dispensation. It's an age of grace now. At some point, when the when the Lord calls His saints home in First Thessalonians four, that age has run out. Now there's another dispensation. Okay, another time period where God operates. So these tribulation saints want blood. They want vengeance, and that's not wrong to look for justice. But it's very different from Christ, Stephen, all the way to our day, where we're calling for to forgive our persecutors, they're calling for vengeance. So there's a lot of things that have to be, it's it's a puzzle, a lot of things that have to be put together. I'm open to emails, questions, write stuff down, if I'm not explaining it, that you're not completely getting it. So the Antichrist is going to severely persecute the saints during this horrific period in human history when the church is gone, doesn't mean people still aren't getting saved, and his sights will be set on Israel, forcefully, because he's got to persecute God's people, he's inspired by Satan, Church is mostly gone, so now he turns his sights towards Israel. All the while, the false ecumenical leader could be a pope, could be an evangelical leader, could be a Dalai Lama, could be a bunch of them on a panel with one person leading them. Don't know. It isn't for me or you or anybody to start wondering who the Antichrist is and who the false prophet is. We should be... Listen, there's a reason God gives us information on the Antichrist, but but we also make sure that we don't give him disproportionate attention we should be focusing more on the Christ than the Antichrist. Antichrist is a side note. It's something that's a future occurrence, but let's put it into perspective. Now, is this very far-fetched that people will still follow this ecumenical, let's all join religions as one, see the bumper stickers coexist, right? Unfortunately, there's a lot of inconsistencies in those symbols. So how do you coexist things that are inconsistent with each other? Very hard to do. But this is what this leader will do, and the world's going to go for it. Oh, the war's in the name of religion, we're tired of it, we want world peace, and people are just going to coalesce around it. Now, I have to say, and let me, let me give it to both sides, whether it's evangelical leaders filling stadiums with huge ministries, or Pope Francis, who's pretty much a rock star at this point, okay? When I look at both of them, I see something lacking. And what's lacking is the giving of the gospel. When you have a microphone and you have a camera and you have such a huge audience, and you have a burden for the lost, then you give the gospel. That was notably absent, okay? Um, and it's it's disheartening. It's disheartening. Jesus said, "I am the way, the truth, and the life." John fourteen. No one gets to the Father except through me. Jesus said. Uh, Many follow the wide road, which is the road to destruction. Very few are found on the narrow road that leads to everlasting life. Now, I find this curious that both Pope Francis and Joel Osteen said something very similar when it comes to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Pope Francis said it's dangerous, and I do have context, and I do get transcripts, and I do look at the whole saying. I don't take it out of context. He says it's dangerous the temptation to believe that one can have a personal, direct, immediate relationship with Jesus Christ without communion and without the mediation of the church. That's not what Jesus said. First Timothy 2:5, the Apostle Paul says there's only one mediator between God and man, and it's not the church, it's Jesus Christ. Period. Joel Osteen, when he was pressed by Larry King, have the transcripts. <laughs> His people get upset. Um, when pressed, he said, well, yeah, Jesus is the only way, but there's many ways to Jesus. Hey, Joel, what the heck does that mean? You know what I'm saying? What does that mean, there's many ways to Jesus? See, this is this universal mindset. It's universalism. And I'm finding the people with the biggest audiences and with the biggest followings espouse this. And it's, quite frankly, and I'm not saying anything that they're this or they're that, but you can see that the stage is being set both in Catholicism and Evangelicalism, where they're going to go along with this. could be a bad pope that rises up. It could be a bad evangelical leader. And the the ones who are really worshiping God in spirit and truth are going to be the ones that are the pariahs. They're going to be the outcasts. Here's another one. Pope Francis assures atheists, you don't have to believe in God to go to heaven. Do I have to qualify that? I mean... And then at the same time, the guy comes and cozies up with some of the worst abortionists in history. They're very comfortable with these people. Talking about global warming, that's humanism. You need to talk about how people are going to get saved, and that has to be through Jesus Christ alone. It isn't for any man. This is why we don't follow men or women. I'm here to facilitate. Don't follow me, because I'll make a mistake somewhere, and you, know, you might get upset with me too. And you always have God. So that's the most important thing to understand. But Karl Marx was an evil man. He said correctly that religion is the opiate of the masses. Now, he said it in some form, and different forms, but he's right. You want to control people? Do it through religion. And then for the rest that are not irreligious, do it through politics. And then you got both, you got both groups. I was listening to a, a very interesting um, debate this morning um, on the Internet, and the speaker said that that most Germans were peace-loving, but the Nazis controlled the agenda. You know, most people in China and Russia were peace-loving, but the Nazis, or the Communists controlled the agenda, and these were murderous, bloodthirsty people. So you can say that whether it's the United States, or a country, or a, a, an ideology, well, they're mostly nice people. It only takes a few to rise up to take control of the masses, and then control the agenda and then the people are left helpless to defend themselves. So, I mean, Satan's learned a lot over the years. He's just going to do it again. Verse 21 and 22, going back to Daniel. The Antichrist is wearing out the saints until the Ancient of Days made a judgment in favor of the saints. Okay? And in verse 6, the tribulation saints under the altar are crying, how long until you avenge our blood? God's timing. We don't always like God's timing. Even in prosperity. For the most part in this area compared to most quarters of the earth things are good. Right? But we don't always appreciate God's timing. But it is His timing. God's a merciful God. He waits. He's very long-suffering. In His mind maybe there's those few people that still have to get saved before everything has to come to an end. And He's Allowing it to to happen. So if you're not saved yet, you're holding the rest of us up. So come on, get a move on. <laughs> Verse 23. Thus he said, The fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all other kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it in pieces. The ten horns are the ten kings who shall rise from this kingdom with another and another shall rise after them. He shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue three kings. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, blasphemy. He shall persecute the saints of the Most High and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. It's scary. So 23 through 25, What's important to know is the counterfeit Messiah comes first and then the real Messiah. And it's going to be great that we waited. It's going to be great that it actually happens because there is no 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 more men and women going to rule men and women. The Lord is going to rule eternally, which is a great thing. Matthew 24:24. 24, 24, I want to read one verse. And this is why we need to know our Bibles. Jesus speaks about these difficult days. He says, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even the elect. That's a scary statement. That means that the elect, the true believers, it's going to be really close. There's plenty of people today, and I've said this, that if the Antichrist was around today, they'd be hitting like on Facebook because he says things that minister to the soul, to the human part of us, the humanistic, okay? Okay. But we need to know our scriptures, right? We need to pay attention to the Holy Spirit when He uh, is is alerting us to things that aren't right, conversations that aren't right, things on the on the computer that aren't right, and we need to be listening and paying attention to that and knowing our word and knowing why it's not right. If anything, this isn't to frighten anyone, but if anything, it should be to. For for maybe a, a gut check to say, do I really know my word? Do I really have a good relationship? Can I be deceived by false teachers? Can I be deceived by some of these guys? They're not all bad. On a Sunday morning, they teach stuff that makes me feel good and lifted up, but something just not right about it. Again, nobody likes um, you know hard conviction. I mean, quite frankly. Me personally, to my flesh side, sure, if I was listening every Sunday morning to somebody that said, hey, Joe, you're, you're awesome. Don't change a thing. Keep up the good work. And I heard that all the time. Sure, that would minister to a part of me that's flesh. Um, but to hear every once in a while, you, this isn't right. This is what the Bible says. And I come to my own conclusions. The Holy Spirit's convicted me. We don't like that feeling. But that's part of the Christian experience. Again, this crazy idea in Western Christianity that we we always have to be ministered to by a sermon, that's not true. Sometimes we need to be afflicted. There's a word that we don't like. Verses 23 through 24, he basically speaks about this fourth kingdom which shall be different from all the other kingdoms. In it, it shall devour the whole earth, trample it and break it into pieces. So this is a different king, a different leader, a different nation and where it'll affect the whole world. Now, as it rises to this 10-nation federation with the Antichrist rule, maybe the difference is, yeah, the Roman Empire did it, but it eventually broke apart. Well, this other kingdom's going to do it as well. When we talked about Eurasia the last Sunday, I wrote I I didn't write, I read a piece written uh, about Eurasia and how the geopolitical movements are starting to change. Very interesting article. But how can this be? Well. I think technology is going to aid. It's going to be a big part of it. You know, the NSA, we keep finding stuff out. Honestly, assume they know everything that you're doing. Assume they've read every one of your emails and every one of your inboxes on social media. I mean, we just have to make that assumption. The government hides stuff from us, and we live in a free society. Imagine what others do in other nations, right? Tracking devices, uh, technology. Um, Some of it will be willing. I remember sharing that article and that picture of um, of laser skin tattoos where a chip will be embedded into the neck. Motorola's coming out with that by the way. You know how many people are going to sign up for that? So you don't have to pick up your phone anymore and flip it. It'll just it'll just go through the bones of your ossicles and the, the ears and you'll be able to pick up sounds and you'll be able to talk without holding anything. A real good hands-free system, isn't it, for when you're driving? Yeah. <laughs> but what if it gets into the wrong hands, that technology? What if some really smart person behind a computer hacks into it. What can they do to you? They're starting to, um, and again, all these amazing articles, they're, they're doing things, these hybrid programs with soldiers where they're embedding um, computers into the soldiers to make them faster, stronger, uh, more resilient. Um, and, and basically the computer uh, interacts with their brain and you can, you can start controlling people on the battlefield. And some, some think that this is great. Well, what do you think in the wrong hands it's going to be used for? So, a lot of times, citizens are setting themselves up by agreeing to all these things. The Mark of the Beast in a Revelation study, But a hundred years ago, people could read that and go, ah, that's not possible. All right, well, now we have uh, satellite technology, we have bionics. I saw a really interesting video, and this is a good thing. For Somebody who's had amputation, they have new hands. It's like the Terminator, you know, the fingers move and there's hydraulics and computers and, and it's, it can do anything. It can, it can shake hands tightly. It can pick things up gently. You, you could do precision work with this. And, and that's a good thing. But again, all these things are run by computers. That's the scary thing. <laughs> the good news is the Lord rules. <laughs> the good, we know where we're gonna be for eternity. Um, even tracking on social media, you can be arrested or committed into a psychiatric institution based on what you put on Facebook. It's happened. Consider that. Proverbs 14.12, and, and, and reiterated in Proverbs 16.25, that says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is in destruction. Always be a check, always be asked the other side when you see a story that the mainstream media puts out. Think about the other side. Um, the whole world is going in this direction. The whole world is listening to this one person. Scrutinize it. Don't, don't be like sheep and, and go with the flow. You know, the Christians in the Roman Empire went against the flow, and a lot of them lost their lives for it, but they, they didn't want to go with everything that the Roman government was espousing. Why did God give Daniel the addition of the Antichrist and the war with the saints that he didn't give to Nebuchadnezzar? Again, in my opinion there was a spiritual element that a pagan king, it wouldn't have meant anything to him. It would be pearls before swine. So he went into more detail when he came to one of his own, Daniel the prophet. And verse 25, it says, "This Now this is why I remember doing this in Matthew 24. Uh, we did the eschatology and the timeline and future events and such. There's so many reasons why I believe that the church won't be here at the time. You know, God, at the last three and a half years of this seven-year period, is going to pour out his wrath on a rebellious world. He's never done that before to his people. He pulled the children of Israel out of Egypt. He afflicted just the Egyptians. He pulled the few righteous out of Sodom and Gomorrah and then afflicted that city. I mean, we can go on and on. God has a modus operandi, so to speak. He's predictable in that he doesn't destroy the righteous with the wicked. So that's good news. Times, times, and half of times is, you can say, three and a half years, also based on Nebuchadnezzar's, uh, the times that he was to eat grass like an ox. So we can kind of make the same connection. Um, Revelation 11, 12, and 13 speak of the second half of the seven-year period, this tribulation period, in terms of months and days. So now we have years in Daniel, months and days in Revelation. In Daniel 9, it's spoken of as a a, a unit, a Shavua in in the Hebrew, which is a seven-year period. Okay, so no matter what angle you look at it, seven-year period, years, days, months, each book gives you the same picture, but from a different perspective. So 25, it says that he will persecute or wear out the saints. Now that word or those words in the original language means to wear out as a shoe. Like when you walk in those areas, that constant friction. And before you know it, there's no sole on the bottom anymore. Your feet are sticking out, you know. Um, water gets in it. And this is what's going to happen to the saints. It's going to be a very dark time. Now, some have said to me, believe it or not, in sharing the truth of the gospel and end times, they're like, well, if I'm not ready to come now, but you know, when I see the Antichrist and all this Mark of the Beast, he goes, then I'll become a Christian. I'm like, do you really want to go through this time period? <laughs> and maybe your heart will be so hardened by that time, hearing the truth so many times that maybe it won't happen. So it's just going to, be, it's going to be such a bad time that's, that saints will be looking to just be killed for relief for them and their families. That's how, and, and you know what? That's happening as we speak in different parts of the world. But that is being perpetrated by Satan right now. Okay, He's trying to, he, but the church at large is not being worn out. And Jesus speaks about that. Now, John Calvin had a preterist and a spiritualized view of this chapter, meaning it all happened in the first century. Uh, so the eschatology to the hyper Calvinism is a little weak. Um, they, even John Piper's a great teacher. He can't finish Revelation because, you know, people, um, they, how do I say this, they have an allegiance to a certain doctrine. and it it causes them a short circuit when it comes to other things. So this whole uh, replacement theology where the church is the new Israel, that that presents a lot of problems, one of them being that God made a lot of promises to Israel that still have to take place. So what does that mean, that we get filled in? doesn't make sense. So the, the preterist view, the spiritualized view, is extremely flawed because there's never been a point in human history where there's been peace and righteousness. The saints have been ruling, and Christ has been leading. If that was the case, then we have a very weak Messiah who's been leading. You know, I I read um, a study that said that there's pretty much been wars ever since the beginning of mankind. There's a few reprieves here and there, but it's not very long. So I I wouldn't say that Christ is ruling at any point uh, directly, but that that will come in the future, especially based on these uh, prophecies. Now, I'll just leave you with this. Never let your pet doctrine poison you, And place you in a pool of poor exegesis. So just keep that in mind. Verse 26, last few verses. But the court shall be seated and they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and all dominion shall serve and obey him. This is the end of the account. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly troubled me and my countenance changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. You see um, great similarities between Daniel and John in Revelation. John, he loses himself and he actually, the angels given him a tour and at two occasions in Revelation, he just falls down and he went to worship at the feet of the angel. He just, his senses were probably sensory overload. And the angel said, see that you do not do that. I'm a fellow servant like you. Angels do not receive worship. Um, only God receives worship. So where John had his issue, Daniel's sick about this. Daniel's he's burdened. He's, but he, he writes it down and he's obedient to the Lord. So basically the way it looks like, and again, I covered this in Matthew 24, but if you look at future events, um, look at templeinstitute.org. The temple's ready to be built in Jerusalem. They just need the permission. There's just too much fighting between the Jews and the Muslims. Uh, I tell you what, for somebody to broker a deal to get that temple built, you know that he's got some juice that's outside of this world, okay? Uh, So everything's ready. All the implements and and it's templeinstitute.org. It's amazing. They've duplicated all these uh, implements. They're just waiting for the permission to build again, so the future temple will be built. It's not standing there anymore, but Revelation tells us that it will exist in the future kingdom. I'm sorry, um, in, the, in the time of, of Revelation, the Antichrist, etc. Uh, the removal of the church, Daniel 9's last seven-year period jumps in there. That 70th Shabuah finishes itself off. After that, according to Daniel 9, the Messiah comes, and according to Matthew and according to Daniel, um, and it's gonna be, he's going to destroy the Antichrist, Uh, burn him alive with the false prophet in the lake of fire. Uh, There's the the, uh, millennial reign and then eternity. It's a lot to digest, but basically the title to this message is Thy Kingdom Come. And that's from the Lord teaching us how to pray. He didn't say memorize the Our Father or what people call it and just mutter it. He wants us to model it there's a difference. He says, don't continue to pray like the heathens do, because they, they pray to their false gods, and if they just keep repeating it, they might hear them. He said, you're different. You're talking to God, your Father. It's a relationship. So my question is, is are we longing for that by kingdom come, God's kingdom come, God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Do we mutter it, repeat it, but not believe it? because those words are very powerful. We're affirming that God will return, and we trust that he will. We know that we are still under the dominion of mankind, ruling the mankind, and unfortunately there are some today that um, love this world. And they're not really looking forward if the, if the Lord was to interrupt human history tomorrow. Well, i got things to do. I'm, I'm, I have all these plans, right? It's, you know... I think there was an immaturity that I went through where I had all these plans and, oh, the rapture would be great if it was another 10 years from now. You know what I'm saying? I've been able to do some awesome things in this world, but whenever God wants to come, I'm good with it. Think about how sad it must be for God that the world, to some, has a greater allure than him bringing in peace and righteousness. So that must be pretty sad. Our only reticence... For the Lord not coming or, or holding off should be our desire for loved ones or just people in general to be saved. That should be the only thing that gives us pause. But we know that God loves those people more than we do, so his timing is going to be perfect. When the Antichrist comes, there will be world peace for a time. There will be religious peace for a time. I believe that the religious wars will stop. Humanistic theology will, will rule the land. Um, religious restraints or constraints will be cast off. There'll be pluralism and relativism, okay? Um, I just read an article about pedophilia, how all these groups now are saying, well, it's not my fault. So nobody takes personal responsibility anymore. It's not my fault, it's not my fault. It's my upbringing, it's a disease, it's this, it's that, okay? What does the Bible say? Well, it's no wonder that maybe, more, maybe more in Western Christianity don't come to the Lord because if we're not talking about sin, then why do we need Jesus? If there is no hell and there is no judgment, so then who cares? What do you tell me about this Jesus for? What does it have to do with me? You know, none, none of this stuff's my fault. None of this stuff is sin. I'm okay. You're okay. You go your way, I'll go mine. But not us. Not us. Our heart has to be steadied on this future kingdom that the Lord will bring, with beauty and righteousness, with our Messiah ruling the helm. You know, even politics, so many today, even in Christianity, think that this candidate's going to save us, or this candidate's going to change the country. And this candidate, it isn't about this candidate. That's dominion theology. We clean up the world first, and then the Lord comes. That's not according to scripture. There's so many things out there, you know? Um, No candidate's going to save us. No team of candidates or judges It's got to be the Lord Christ. As much as we love our country, our country's flawed because it's run by human beings. And if we were running it, we would flaw it. (laughs) You know, that's just the way it goes. So I would say this, do we mean it when we say Lord, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We look forward to that day because it is coming. Let's pray.